The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawbox. These are your headlines. Tech shares driving gains on Wall Street with NVIDIA reaching an all-time high and pushing the Nasdaq to its best day since mid-November. The pressure builds as Boeing, uh, on Boeing should I say, as United and Alaska Airlines then uh, find loose bolts on parts of multiple 737 MAX planes with shares in the plane maker slipping. French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne resigns ahead of an expected cabinet reshuffle as President Macron looks to reinvigorate his government. Bitcoin breaks $47,000 for the first time in 21 months as optimism grows over the expected approval of a US Bitcoin ETF. And Samsung shares slide in uh, South Korea after the tech giant warns of a worse than expected drop in fourth quarter profit. This amid weak demand. Markets finally breaking out of a range yesterday as we got 2024 gains on the charts at 2.2% of the upside for the Nasdaq. Uh, slim session Friday gains, but Monday very much unlocking this tech rally. And you can see just how focused it was around the tech sector. NVIDIA, other big semiconductors also moving to the upside. And as a result, this outsized gain versus the Dow that was up less than six tenths of a percent. Just digging on the hood, FANG stocks in the rally too, 2.6% higher. But if you look at the ARK Innovation Fund of momentum names in the range of 2.8%, you see the breakout then as you start to pick through the semiconductor index up three and a half percent but also biotech rallying 4.6 percent so very concentrated around some of those tech plays in session yesterday 1.4 up for the s p 500 so all parts of the market rallying but very much concentrated around the nasdaq take a look at those big u.s tech names and you can see where some of those gains were as a result amd up almost five and a half percent nvidia up almost six and a half percent versus well, it's still decent gains elsewhere for the likes of Apple, up 2.5% almost, and Alphabet 2.2 in the money. To the Treasury market, and it was this area of the market giving tech sector a lot of cover. The slight pullback we saw in that 10-year to the almost the 4% handle, 4.37 on the two-year. Certainly a movement here, well and truly noted for many in the markets. And in terms of what we had, some of the more hawkish members too, and this is Bowman suggesting that uh, if we get back to target and some of those inflation pressures start to abate, there isn't a need for a further rate hike. One of the outliers who'd still been talking about the potential for rate increases. So just a little bit of shuffling around that commentary in the market as a result, uh, seeing that tech sector unlocking gains. 
To WTI and Brent, uh, this is uh, the complete opposite and perhaps why the Dow was somewhat limited in its moves to the upside. The uh, oil sector undermined by this trade, WTI and Brent both fading. You can see morning session about a third of a percent of Brent, of WTI rather, and Brent down by just over a tenth. In terms of the activity yesterday, the spot prices were down about 4% on uh, WTI and Brent off about 3.3%. This after we had the story that uh, set the scene for the week that the Saudis have cut crude prices, particularly for those Asian customers, thanks to fading demand. Speaking of Asia, let me take you across to that part of the world because we are seeing a spillover thanks to the tech story stateside. And this is very much impacting a lot of the big players across on Japanese stocks. Chip-related names are rallying. Uh, we are seeing gains across on that part of the market in terms of uh, the likes of Tokyo Electron, Avantest also in the green, and Nintendo one of the top movers. And that is giving the Nikkei 225 a bounce to a 33-year high, its highest level since March 1990. Elsewhere, very slim ranges for Hong Kong stocks, still in the green, red print for China, but we're up 9.10, so a fairly decent range for the Australian market, very much picking up on that Wall Street lead, Steve. Thanks, Karen. Let me pick up on what you were saying about Michelle Bowman. The Fed governor says she now believes inflation could decline further with rates at current levels, having previously suggested further tightening would be necessary. However, Bowman warned that upside risk remains to inflation and the Fed is not at the point to cut rates. OK, let's take a look at consumer credit. And I think it's important to do so because we've just seen some, well, horrible, good data. You can interpret it how you like. Total outstanding U.S. consumer credit rose above $5 trillion for the first time ever in November. OK, now it's not inflation adjusted, so I'll take that on board. But it rose above $5 trillion for the first time ever in November, according to data from the Federal Reserve. It was boosted by a more than $19 billion jump in revolving credit to a fresh high of $1.3 trillion. Now, clearly the market felt confident to ignore this data, and that's absolutely fine. The market can look at multiple factors every day and make its own mind up as well. Maybe it looked at the data and thought, oh, actually, slowing consumer, slowing economy, actually that's positive for the stock market because it means we'll have uh, lower rates sooner rather than later. But I'll just go through the pure numbers because I think they're fascinating personally. It's one month's data, okay? One swallow does not make a summer, or, or but um, the delinquency rate, and this is where I'm interested. Americans are pretty much fully employed at 3.7%. Americans are getting pay rises from the AHE of around about 4%. So Americans are employed. No one's at the moment looking for a job uh, who, can't, who can't find a job as well. You know, Even though the quits rates have tempered somewhat in the latest jolt states, the fact is most Americans can find work if they want it. So why on earth are delinquency rates on credit cards hitting the highest level since 2011? They were up 8.1% as of the third quarter as well. So people are putting more money on debt more generally, but on revolving credit, which is the most expensive form of credit, and, and then a record number since 2011, are missing payments. We've all seen this radio before, right? The last well, financial know. crisis. You've, I think the different leg this time round is that the spending patterns change thanks to COVID. I mean, all those different titles we're talking about, revenge spending, revenge travel, 
that's been fine for many who had pent up savings. But as we've been discussing all through last year, those savings have been dwindling, have been dwindling down. What does that mean? It means you still, if you're not changing your behaviours, you're putting money on credit cards first, then other forms of credit after that. So I think the problem is that you've now got a 2024 that looks somewhat dicey because credit costs are not going to come down as much as people had hoped. And we've just come out of a, a decade plus of ZERP, zero interest rates, uh, effectively. People are not used to that. Rates, even if they're cut, going to be cut, they're not going to be cut very much, which means there is going to be pressure on the mortgage side, ring paying, all of these loan facilities that people have. So it could be a somewhat challenging year. And I think if you look at the market rally yesterday, the concentration was around tech. We've been talking about beat up areas of Before we move on to the market, can mm. we just focus in on this one more time? <clears throat> Americans by and large, haven't seen their savings to interest nothing, according to a lot of people who have come on and started revising what you and I were saying uh, in 2023, that actually their savings haven't dwindled to nothing, which I find quite is surprising. Are we talking all consumers? Are we talking some parts of the consumer market? Well, if still Americans have, have savings. savings and are now earning an interest rate because we don't have ZERP anymore, why are they not using those savings or using those higher rates to offset their spending rather than actually having revolving credit, including credit cards, rising at a 17.7% rate after 2.7% in the previous month as well. It takes a while to build up those savings thanks to a higher interest rate. I mean, you know, one month of a, a better interest rate doesn't do very much. It can take a series of months and even a number of years to build up those savings. So I think what we are seeing is a, a pattern of consumer behaviour that hasn't changed So is this a recession indicator? Potentially. Potentially. Yeah, you're saying about technology. Well, the point I was trying to make is what would you rather be invested in at this point? Would you rather go after some of the consumer staples, consumer discretionary that has been fairly resilient since the pandemic because people have been spending? Or would you rather pivot elsewhere to so-called growth areas of the market? And if you look at the Nasdaq performance, still off the record high to the tune of about 8.5%. The market went picking over some of the beaten up names, but this time it was in technology yesterday and I cited biotech in particular. Uh, that was one area of the market that investors went back in and looked at. Um, obviously, semiconductors have been a high priced area of the market, but again, that was scooped up uh, in the market rally yesterday. So would you rather go to areas like that that might be protected now and a part of them a thematic trend? Or would you rather still consider investing in the consumer that may be, thanks to some of this data, a little bit spent? Um, I, I thought there was a line coming out from a lot of the analysts that you and I have been speaking to tail end of 2023 and early 2024 that actually it was a year of rotation away from some of those expensive growth stocks. After a couple of days where the Nasdaq came down at the start of the year, everyone was saying, no, you want to just be a little bit more tempered in your view of growth stocks. And then all of a sudden we've got Nvidia trading at $522 doesn't quite tally uh, having, buying a stock which is already trading at an expensive, well, a very hearty multiple with a lot of good news baked into the price uh, and then bidding it to the moon. Not everyone. We were talking to Peter Oppenheimer yesterday and he was also talking about whether we're in the foothills when it comes to some of these growth stories. True. So when True. you get an entry point again on uh, semiconductors, is the market going to step in? Is that going to be the Nasdaq-like play that we now see around some of these semiconductors? And we're going to push on, but uh, just a quick note. For more on Michelle Bowman's rate commentary, you can head online to cnbc.com. United Airlines and Alaska Airlines say they have found loose bolts on a number of 737 MAX 9 aircraft. Their fleets are grounded uh, and undergoing inspections after an accident over the weekend in which a side panel blew out mid-flight. 
Boeing is expected to revise its guidelines, but the Federal Aviation Administration will need to approve them before carriers can begin repairs. The aircraft manufacturer says it remains in close contact with MAX 9 operators. Well, as you would expect, Boeing shares under a lot of pressure in the session, down 8% Monday as investors had their first chance to react to developments. Shares of Spirit Aero Systems, which makes parts for the 737 MAX aircraft, also moved lower to the tune of 11%. But U.S. carriers, United Airlines and Alaska Airlines, which both made an early decision to ground their fleets of MAX 9 jets, fared much better. Arabile, of course, has been following the story. So uh, just fill us in with some more details. Yeah, so pretty much five things have kind of happened over the last 25 hours. We actually found the fridge-sized door uh, plug, which, has been, uh, which was found in the Oregon area then and is also being inspected. Uh, currently as well. Also uh, found an iPhone, which is pretty much in pristine condition, actually, surprisingly, having fallen from what is nearly five kilometers in the sky of 16,000 feet or so. Um, it also was uh, a headrest was also then found as well in the area. So still a lot being actually found from that uh, uh, blowout then of the door from the flight uh, 737 MAX 9 plane then, which was, of course, Alaska Airline Flight 1282. The cockpit voice recorder has also been completely overwritten, something that the NTSB, the National Transport uh, Safety Board, says it's very unhappy with. Of course, only the last two hours or so of recording are put up on that recorder, but unfortunately, over 24 hours has gone by and they don't have uh, data then beyond that. Spe the, that specific plane itself, that uh, Alaska Airline Flight 1282, that specific MAX 9 version, uh, had had three pressurization issues before the door blowout that we saw then happening uh, last Friday. That, in fact, then prevented it from flying over water. Um, as a specification had been put forward uh, according to the previous issues that had been placed on that plane, which meant that it wasn't allowed to fly over water, which then meant that it was um, then only put on land flights, which is quite specific, of course, and very important in this case because it needed to quickly land, having had that depressurization issue uh, in the sky then as well. United Airlines, as we've just noted as well, finding those uh, loose bolts then on some of its MAX 9 door plugs. Some of the other planes, not specifically just this one, but other planes, uh, speculation is that at least two uh, had um, some of the loose bolts. Then United Airlines said installation issues relating to door plugs would be remedied before the aircraft type would then be returned to service. It's also very interesting, of course, this week we're anticipating to hear word from its competitor Airbus when it comes to deliveries. 720-odd uh, deliveries are, um, well, needed to have been made as a target put forward by Airbus, expected to report mid-730s, though, which would be an industry record, guys. Arabile, thank you very much indeed for that. Let's get to John Grant, who's the chief analyst at OAG. John, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, does Boeing have a bigger problem than solving one issue on one type of plane? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's a cultural issue. Um, it's this has been going on for quite some time with Boeing. Uh, they, uh, depending on on your perspective, they've either been unlucky or they've been sloppy, um, and you know their their reliability, their integrity within the industry has been damaged not just by this, but obviously by the the wider seven three seven Max issue of a couple of years ago. Um, there's still ongoing 
faults um, and licensing issues. And the company, quite frankly, is struggling. Um, and it's, it's, it's a damaged uh, operation at the moment. Um, I hear what you're saying and it's very worrying, but uh, let me just give the counter argument. Um, there was a piece, and you would have seen this, of course, John. Commercial aviation was safer in 2023 than in any previous year, according to, say, air safety experts. There was uh, no major air passenger fatalities and crashes with major airlines and major passenger jets in 2023. It's still stunningly safe to get on most, bo or getting on a Boeing or an Airbus, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, there is there is no safer form of transport. Um, when you look at all the metrics, the miles flown, uh, the lack of incidents, um, and, you know, the professionalism of, of people within the industry. Um, and many of these things and issues are being spotted on a regular basis and um, directives are being issued by both Boeing and Airbus around modifications that are required or checks that are required. And they take place very quietly in the background and there's no issues. Um, of course, when you get an event like last week's, uh, then suddenly, you know, the whole background changes and everyone's uh, got this as a story and every airline is being asked to look at their aircraft and make sure that everything is um, trim and that the aircraft is airworthy. John, let me just pick up on the information we know so far that there's been loose hardware found uh, that's been visible on some aircraft, according to Alaska Airlines. How is this possible when there's a contractor first up, there's Boeing, regulators pouring over the aircraft and, of course, maintenance crew. How is it possible no one spotted this before if it was so visible? Uh, absolutely. That's that's a key question that needs to be answered. Um, commercial pressures um, are, are clearly um, on every part of the supply chain at the moment. The aviation industry is, is struggling um, with just available resources, skilled engineers, um, supplies for the construction of new aircraft and delivery dates. And, you know, they are under, Boeing are under pressure to deliver aircraft. They don't realise the revenue on their books until the aircraft is delivered to the airline. So, you know, they're taking parts in from people like Spirit Aerospace, uh, who work on a fuselage, uh, and they are perhaps not undertaking as many checks um, and are assuming that what's delivered is good to go. Um, and that clearly isn't the case. But something has failed somewhere in that process, that quality assurance process between Spirit, Boeing, and then delivery to the aircraft, uh, the airline operator. For the airline, of course, you take it, you take what you see and, you know, whilst you check everything as much as you physically can, unless you actually take that plug out and check the bolts, um, you wouldn't be seeing this. You would be assuming that it is good to go because it has been signed off by the supplier as good to go. And that's that's another part of the challenge for Boeing is that their credibility with the FAA, um, Federal Aviation Authority, who allow them to sign off these aircraft as being airworthy, is completely tarnished at the moment. You know, they were falsifying data in uh, the 73 MAX incidents from years ago. Uh, and now they've got this issue and there's been others. So there's there's a lot of credibility at stake here for Boeing and they've got a lot of work to do to start to repair that. Yeah, John, good morning to you. Uh, does this embolden some of the other competitors? I mean, Airbus themselves, perhaps looking at this and thinking to themselves, well, perfect opportunity to, to take a hold of the market. But if they couldn't do so necessarily in 2018, 
perhaps not at the same time? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to understand which side would, yeah. you, would you perhaps fall on for this one? Um, well, I'm sure Airbus would love to, um, but, you know, this is an industry where safety is the most important factor. And actually, there is a lot of sharing of data between aircraft manufacturers and indeed airlines about such issues. Um, Airbus are not in a position where they can capitalise on this. Uh, they have full order books for the next 10, 15 years. They don't have any production, um, spare production capacity, so they can suddenly take an order off someone else and put another 100 aircraft uh, on their order books and deliver within two or three years. It's just not possible. Um, and that's the sort of situation we're in, really. You know, we have two very big aircraft manufacturers. They have a huge share of the market, um, particularly in that single aisle, medium range type aircraft type. And Airbus will be sitting there thinking they're but for the grace of God. This could be something that we are facing. Um, but fortunately, you know, as we said earlier, against this whole backdrop, uh, the airline industry remains the safest way to travel. Mr Grant, we'll leave it there. Nice to see you today, sir. Thank you for joining us nice and early on Scorebox. John Grant, Chief Analyst at OAG. And for more on this developing story and the impact it could have on Boeing, its suppliers and the broader industry, check out cnbc.com. Arabile. Well, coming up on the show, it's the born resignation. France's Prime Minister steps aside ahead of an expected government reshuffle and Samsung flags weakening consumer demand. This as fourth quarter operating profit comes in much weaker than anticipated. And later on, we'll hear from Nick Schneider, who's the CEO of Arctic Wolf, as we discuss cybersecurity and address the, the prospect of a public listing. That's coming up at 8.30 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Taiwan's ruling party presidential candidate Lai Ching-tai says he'll maintain the status quo if elected and is open to engaging with Beijing. Chinese authorities have denounced Vice President Lai as a separatist, warning that any attempt to push for formal independence for Taiwan would mean conflict. Lai says accepting a one-principle proposition from China would be, quote, like Hong Kong, fake peace. Saturday's elections have been cast uh, by Beijing as a choice between war and peace. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken touched down in Tel Aviv last night. It's the seventh stop on a whirlwind tour of the Middle East. And as the U.S.'s top diplomat seeks to prevent the conflict in Gaza from escalating into a broader conflict. Uh, our very own Dan Murphy joins us from Dubai with the latest. Dan, this is no easy trip given the events that have been playing out too between Israel and Hezbollah. Indeed, Karen, and the U.S. Secretary of State will meet with Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today and members of his war cabinet at a really critical moment for the region given the events of the last 24 hours. Uh, Secretary Blinken has so far met with leaders in the UAE, in Jordan, Qatar 
and Saudi Arabia to discuss how the U.S. and how Gulf allies can prevent a wider conflict in the region and address the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. But as we have been discussing this week, the most critical flashpoint right now are the tensions on the Israeli-Lebanon border. And what we've seen is tensions really soaring after the killing of Wissam Hassan Tawil. He was a senior Hezbollah commander and one of the most senior Hezbollah figures to be killed in recent months, in fact. Of course, Hezbollah is the Iranian proxy group with ties to Hamas. And his killing has certainly ratcheted up fears among regional leaders that Hezbollah may seek to avenge his death now and be drawn into a wider regional conflict. That is the chief and primary concern for the U.S. Secretary of State right now, according to some of the statements that he has made and, of course, recent press reports from NBC News as well. It's certainly something that the Secretary of State sought to talk down while he was in Saudi Arabia, seeking to stop this war from escalating and also seeking to calm fears among Arab and regional leaders that we could see a more full-blown conflict. Listen in. It's clearly not in the interest of anyone, Israel, Lebanon, Hezbollah for that matter, uh, to, see this, uh, to see this escalate and to see an actual conflict. And the Israelis have been very clear with us that they want to find a diplomatic way forward, a diplomatic way forward that creates the kind of security that allows Israelis to return home. The Secretary of State there. And we have also heard from Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, ahead of his meeting with the Secretary of State and also addressing troops here with regards to the most recent uh, tensions with Hezbollah. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, and I quote here, we will do whatever it takes. Of course, we prefer that this be done without a wide war, but that will not stop us. So some of the commentary that we've heard from the Israeli leader and the Israeli government is clearly causing concern among Arab leaders around the region as well. At the same time, we've also seen reports out of Israel that the IDF and the government have said that their operation is now entering what they've called a new phase of more targeted warfare. But exactly what that means is unknown at this point. Perhaps we could get more clarity on this later on today as the meeting concludes. Dan, excellent coverage. Thank you so much indeed for that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.